I was on the East High swim team for four years. We had about 12 swimmers on a good year. And I went to the state meet four years in a row, all by myself. There was nothing really more lonely than that experience. All these other teams were there, and they were cheering each other on. They had mascots. They had relays. They were laughing and crying together over losses and wins. And for me, it was just me and my coach and my parents. I can't even explain to you how badly I wanted to be on a big winning team. And that is why some years uh, I swam in the morning at East by myself before school. I swam in the afternoon at East with my team there after school. I drove home, ate an entire loaf of bread or an entire bowl of cookie dough, depending on if I had the time to make it. And then I drove over to West to swim in the evening with the Columbus team who had to swim at West because they didn't have a pool. Ticked my East swim coach off so much, she chased me over to West one night and tried to pull me out of the pool. I'm not lying. I just kept swimming, kept swimming. I hated swimming alone. I so wanted to belong to something bigger than just myself. John Ortberg writes this. He said, the yearning to attach and to connect, to love and be loved, is the fiercest longing of the soul. He said, our need for community with people and the God who made us is to the human spirit what food and air and water are to the human body. Belonging is a big deal. And that is why we're kicking off the fall with this series. Remember, if you were at the gathering, uh, we were talking about This idea of taking risks in our faith. And one of the risks we want to talk about right out of the blocks this fall is the risk to belong in real community with a few other people at least so that we can share life and share faith in Jesus. It's one of the four strategies we're laying out to help us live into our mission statement of helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And why are we asking you to take this risk? Why? Is it because we want to add one more thing to your already stuffed to overflowing? I'm about to weep. My schedule is so out of control life. No. We are asking everyone here at Orchard to take the risk to belong because belonging matters not just to us. But it matters to God. And if we miss it, we miss everything. So where does this longing to belong come from? That's what I'm going to talk about for just a few minutes this morning. And I want to go all the way back to the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And it says in Genesis... That when God got ready to create the pinnacle of his creation, the chocolate lab. (laughs) Sorry, I had to do that. Stella's been feeling left out lately and she really wanted me to just get a picture up there. So there she blows, a selfie of Stella. So, okay, take that off. Back to the scriptures. So when God got ready to create the pinnacle of creation... 
He said this in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That's a strange word there, us, isn't it? If you're talking to yourself. But God created mankind in God's image and somehow the scriptures tell us God's image is an us. And in that same creation story, we read that God pronounced everything he made good, even very good. But only one time did God say that something he created was not good. It was after God created Adam in in Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said when he looked at Adam, It is not good for the man to be alone. It was something about Adam's aloneness, his singularity, that in God's eyes was not good. And so God created Eve, he created woman, uh, and it was not because Adam had too much work to do and needed a little helper, a little junior assistant. No, the reason God created Eve was to form humanity's first little community. He was creating mankind in his image, and something about that image was an us. And the New Testament, then, is filled with this truth. You see it when you read the whole arch of the New Testament, that Jesus, the Word, the only begotten Son, was not just with God at creation, but that he was God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Don't ever forget that. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Because he and the Father are one and the same. They are an us. And we also learn that Jesus told his bewildered followers the night before he goes to the cross, listen, I am going to go away from you now, back to the Father. And it is better for you that I go away. Because when I go away, my Father and I are going to send you someone called the Comforter, the Counselor, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit who will be in you and he will remind you of everything I have taught you. Jesus was saying and the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. Jesus is God. The Spirit is God. They are three, but they are one. They are an us. And usness, I just made that word up, usness matters to God because, because it is at the very core of who God is. And we are made in his image. God is one, yet God is community. And so through the centuries, people have been trying to wrap their brains around this concept of the Trinity. And I was reading a big, fat theological treatise just to make sure I was teaching the Orthodox Christian view of the Trinity. And then I got to number six of their six non-negotiables about the Trinity, each point taking up like eight pages. I read all these complicated truths, and then I got to point six. And this is what point six said. The Trinity is incomprehensible. 
I was like, really? Because here's an idea. I could have just written one tiny little book entitled The Trinity. You're too dumb to understand it by Reverend Alice Shirey. Could have made a lot of money. People have come up with all these different ways to try to describe the Trinity. It's like an egg where it's a yolk and a white and a shell, but it's one egg. It's like water where it's liquid and gas and ice, but it's just one substance. One guy tried to come up with this idea about trousers. It's like two, but it's one. That was a terrible, terrible one. But today I want to talk about the Trinity as a community. A community that is at the center of everything. A community that has existed before time and will exist for all eternity. And the Christian story, the Christian truth, is that we are invited not just into this personal relationship with God, but we are invited into the pre-existing, eternal, powerful, sovereign, creative, good community that is the Trinity. Jesus opened the circle and he opens it today and he invites people to come in. Come join us, he says. This is the Christian invitation. And I want you to listen to how Jesus puts it. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, it is that moment when he's about to go to the cross and he's praying with his disciples. And this is what he says. John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, he says. It's not just for these disciples. But I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We're going to come back to that. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. I just want you to comprehend this for a minute. We are invited into the Trinity and we are called now to live with each other in the same way that the Trinity lives with each other. We are to be one just as the Trinity is one. In in a previous verse before the ones I read, Jesus prayed, Holy Father, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. And it is so important that we understand this concept when we think about community. And it's very important for us to understand more about the Trinity than just that they are a community, but that they are a certain kind of community. At the very heart of the Trinity is a very special kind of humility. A humility that you and I are called to imitate, not just in church, but in all of the relationships that we have. We are to have hearts marked by what one of my favorite theologians, Frederick Bruner, calls the shyness at the heart of the Trinity. Bruner writes this. He said, the whole blessed Trinity is shy. Each member of the Trinity points faithfully and selflessly to the other in a gracious circle. 
So to demonstrate this idea of the shyness of the Trinity, I picked the shyest person I know, Whitney Rissy, our new junior high director. If any of you know Whitney, you know that she's super shy. And so I asked her to be my model in this little photo shoot I did. And I want you to just stay with me here as I try to explain this idea. So I want you to imagine that this whiteboard with Jesus' name on it is Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit does not try to draw attention to himself in relationship to Jesus. He does not stand in front of Jesus and say, look at me. No, the Holy Spirit instead stands behind Jesus and points to him at all times and says, listen to him, do what he says, remember his teaching. Martin Luther said, the poor Holy Spirit, he doesn't know any other topic other than Jesus. And this is true in every other relationship in the Trinity. Imagine this whiteboard is the Father. Forgive me. So take if you look at the Father, the Son, Jesus never draws attention to himself. He does not stand in front of the Father and say, I'm the best. But he always stands behind the Father and says, look at him. Any words I speak are his words. Anything I do in this world is his will. And then take the Spirit. Jesus never tries to trump the spirit, but even says to his followers, and I read this in the John 17 passage, it is better for you. Wait a minute. Let's have him trump the spirit. Come on. There he is. Never does it. Instead, he always stands behind the spirit and he says, it is better for you that I go away because when I go away, he's going to come. At the very core of the Trinity exists humility in its most perfect form. And hear me here. If there is anything that should mark the community of Jesus in the world, it should be this kind of humility, other centeredness. We don't exist God's church in the world. And this church specifically does not exist so that I can get my needs met. Or I'm sorry to say this, so that you can get your needs met. We are part of something way, way bigger than ourselves. And I don't know about you, but to that I say, thank God. See, our longing for community, our longing to belong comes from God. And how that community is to look is shaped by who God is. And now I want to look at a couple of the main reasons that God calls us to take the risk to belong in community together. And I want to just read a couple passages as I talk about this first point, and you see if you can pick it up. What is Jesus' reason that his followers are called to live in a certain kind of community? This is John chapter 13, starting with verse 34. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Back to John 17, just a couple excerpts from it that I read before and one additional verse. This is what Jesus is saying as he talks to his father. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. 
And his prayer is that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And then look at this last verse. He says, may they, my followers, be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and to let the world know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. The primary reason God calls us to take the risk to belong to each other in Trinity-like community is because the way we live together demonstrates that we are Jesus' people. It demonstrates that Jesus is real. And it demonstrates that he was sent here by his Father in love. Jesus did not say, Here's what I want you to do. Break up into a bunch of factions and fight publicly about theology and where you land on specific hot button issues and especially on the sin of other people. And whatever you do, make sure you're right. Because if you're right, I don't care how you treat other followers. And if you're right, the world will know that you are my people and that I have come from the Father. He never said that. He only said this, the one way that the world will know that you are my followers is if you love each other in the same way that I, Jesus, have loved you. This is the signature of God over his people to a watching world. And this is why the way that we belong to one another in community matters desperately to God. Because guess what? We are God's plan A to bless a broken world. We're it. There's nobody else. Which leads me to my second reason that God calls us into a certain kind of community. I just want to talk about myself for a minute. He calls me into this kind of community with other believers to change me. Just to change me. You see, God is this perfect, humble, creative, joyful community. And I was made in his image. You were made in his image. And we were created to join into this beautiful dance of the Trinity. And then somehow, in the way we live together, we're supposed to show that image of loving community to the world. But there is one huge difference between me and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One huge difference. Can you guess? I... I'm an idiot. That's the difference between me and God. I am self-serving, not self-sacrificing. I am a prideful fool. I am not humble. Even if I point to someone else, There is a part of me that is hoping beyond hope that while I am oh so humbly pointing to someone else, there is somebody else somewhere looking at me to see how amazing I am that I am not desiring attention and trying to give it to someone else. I don't put other people first. Too often I just find people irritating. I mean, they don't use the passing lane correctly on the highway. 
Their dogs bark at me. They don't put the seat down on a public toilet. You know who you are. They invade my space. They don't vote right. They sing songs I don't like. The volume is so loud. I mean, I love the concept of loving other people and especially followers of Jesus. I mean, kumbaya, baby. I'm all about the concept. But real people? I mean, I don't know. But here's the beauty of God. He knows this about me. And he knows this about every single one of you. And Dave and Carla are going to talk about this more in the next two weeks because we all know this truth. This is from Henry Nouwen who said, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. And you might be sitting right next to him right now. And I believe God planned it that way. He puts us in community. He puts me in community and he says to me, Alice, take a risk to belong to a handful of followers in such a way that they can get to know you below the surface, beyond the fake and phony, beyond the I'm doing great that you've rehearsed. Because it is only when you risk belonging to a few other broken, messed up, sinful people that I can use them to change you. And lo and behold, even though you're an idiot, I can use you to change them. It's Proverbs 27:17 that says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. But you know what? Too many of us in the church are ashamed of our own humanness. We're ashamed of our own humanness. And so we think we have to come to church to pretend we're not idiots. So we hide from each other. We're scared that if we remove our masks, others will run screaming from us and our deepest fears will come true. That we are unlovable. So we keep up the charade. Lonely as hell. And I mean that literally. But not here. Not here. Take a risk. Man, you heard of some opportunities available. They're starting up. There's several little cards you can pick up out at the information center of things you can get involved in. Introverts, you can join an online small group. You don't even have to talk to people face to face. This is amazing. It is amazing. But take a risk because it is only through belonging to other people who belong to Jesus that we can change at the deepest level and find greater and greater freedom from our own sinful selves. And I just want to also give a warning. This just rose up in me as I did some of this study on the Trinity and why community matters so much to God and looked at how much this is mentioned in the scriptures. John 3.16 said God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that those who believe in him will never perish but have eternal life. Have you ever thought about the word gave? That is a costly word, especially when it's your only son. John Ortberg again writes this. He said, at enormous cost, 
enormous cost to every member of the Trinity, you and I have been welcomed into the eternal circle to be held in the heart of Father, Son, and Spirit. Therefore, to fail to prize community, to tolerate disunity with the people God loves, particularly disunity in the body of Christ, or to do things that would lead to disunity, is utterly unthinkable. This kind of disunity is epidemic in our day, isn't it? And most of us don't think a thing about it. Have you ever been involved in a disunifying church conflict? I've been in a room this size, about half of us have. They are the worst. I once was in a church breakup so intense that a grown woman almost punched me. I'm serious. I'm not proud of this at all. But I am kind of proud that I wasn't a sissy. Because when I thought she was going to throw a punch, I literally turned and said to her, you want a piece of this? I said that to another Christian. I told you I'm an idiot. All joking aside, though, God risked and gave everything to choose us, his community, his followers, as his bride. And we are the primary messengers of his priceless gospel. And anything we do to disrupt or spoil or squelch unity breaks God's heart. It breaks his heart. This is the community of Jesus purchased by his blood. And when we blow it off or mock it or gossip about other people or refuse to get involved or just flit from church to church bashing leaders as we go or we come here only to critique the music or the teaching or the whatever, when we do that, we thumb our nose at the Trinity and we damage the credibility of our message of grace. And that is a big deal to God. We are part of something that is way, way bigger than ourselves. And what God is up to in this world is way, way bigger than my petty desires to have things go all the way I think they should go. And so in light of this truth and all that I have taught today, I want to ask you the question we'll be asking you for the next four weeks together. And that is what risk might God be asking you to take to more fully belong in community? And listen to me here. I'm telling you this as your friend now. You can't make it on your own. This world will break you. And if it hasn't, trust me, it will. And when it does, you will need other people who know Jesus and who know the real you. Take a risk. Take a risk to belong. It's how we were designed it is what we are here on this earth for. It's somehow how God's going to get his message out to the world. And it will be eternally worth it. Let's pray.
God, from the very beginning, when you created man and woman, you put us into community. And what is the very first thing that the enemy of our souls attacked? He attacked community. And yet, God, it is at the very center of who you are and what you are doing in this world. I do not know why you picked us. I do not know why you said the way you love each other is somehow going to be the way I get my message out to the world. But that's what you said. And so, God, I'm willing to take a risk, and I pray my friends are here too. In some small way, can we just put our toe in the water and start to try to figure out ways we can be in relationships with other people who know you and take off our masks and practice loving each other in the same way that you have loved us? I believe you'll be with us in that, God. You promise you will. Amen.